today's title is Living in Community, Living in Community. Uh, I don't believe we will have the scriptures up on the screens, so you can get your phone ready if you have the Bible app on your phone or your Bible if you brought it with you. Uh, We'll be in James chapter 5, verses 12 to 20, or you can just listen to me read it to you. Uh, But we read last week about how the church is supposed to patiently anticipate God's glory in their life as they patiently await for the judgments of God on the oppressor. But before that day comes, how is the church supposed to act with one another leading up to that? There is a lot of time. If God was done with us, he would have taken us by now, but God still has stuff for us to do. And so how are we supposed to act in community with one another? How are we supposed to endure to receive the crown of life, as James says? Much of it has to do with how we treat one another, especially in the church. So one of our core values in our church, we have three core values, community, discipleship, and creativity. And one of them, as I said, is community. And so today we're going to be talking a lot about community as James ends his letter What he does is he exhorts the church, this is how you are supposed to be with one another. This is how you live with one another. This is how you act towards one another. And so we're going to read uh, verses 12 to 20 in James chapter 5. You can listen or read along on your phone or your Bible. James says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that... Whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So James closes off his letter here by giving four ways that the community can grow together in a healthy way using their speech, how they talk and act with one another. The four ways, as he says, talk plainly with one another, pray with one another, confess to one another, and correct one another. And those are the four things that we're going to be talking about today. This is incredibly important as we think of what a church is supposed to be like, and we are still a new church. We're only going to be celebrating two years in a few weeks, so we are still a church plant, a growing church, and it's important to understand what does it look like As we grow in community, what are the types of ways that we should act towards one another? How should we talk towards one another? How should we treat each other? And that is how James ends his letter. 
As he talked the entire time, what does it mean to be a friend of the world and what does it mean to be a friend of God? He says, well, friends of God, this is how they treat one another. This is how they talk. So first James says in verse 12, he says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and let your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation or under judgment. James gets this directly from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, he says, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You know, as, as simple as this sounds, right, to let your yes be yes and your no be no, uh, and this is a saying, if you've been Christian long enough, you've probably heard, if you've never been Christian, then welcome to jargon of Christianity, because somebody will probably say this, let your yes be yes and your no be no, you know, at some point. It's important. And as simple as it sounds, it's actually incredibly difficult for human nature to grasp a concept like this. And we'll talk more about why. But I want you to realize something that part of the Spirit's regeneration of your heart, part of the Spirit's regeneration of your mind, part of the new person that is rebirthed through Christ in salvation is you sticking to your word. Did you know that? That part of the Spirit's work, sometimes we over-spiritualize what God's doing, and we think, man, God's working. Why? Because I have goosebumps today. God's working, why? Because this person smiled at me today, right? Sometimes we just over-spiritualize or it was supposed to rain and it's not raining today, right? That wasn't the case today, so maybe, you know. But sometimes we over-spiritualize things and, and sometimes we overlook the most spiritual things that the Bible talks about, which is how the Spirit works in our life means that we become people of our word. So not showing up somewhere when you said you would continually is not being a person of your word. Committing to things that you never do, saying yes with no intention of ever doing what you said yes to, these are not personality traits. These are character flaws that the Spirit wants to work out in your life. And what happens with these type of character flaws is they destroy community. You know, a lot of things that have happened with different personality tests and temperament tests and things like that is when they are done in a poor way, some of them are done in a really great way, but when they're done in a poor way, it becomes an excuse to act mean towards people or allow character flaws in our life to continue. And so we have to realize the difference between what is God wanting to work out in my life And what are the ways that God has wired me to be? God did not wire you to break your word all the time, to show up late everywhere that you go, to say yes to things and then never do things. That is not how God wired people. And we have to understand, if we are to be a community that grows together, we must be a community that can trust what each other says. We have to be. I have two funny stories for you. 
And it's funny, one, one story is going to be the business world, and one story is going to be the church world. So in the business world, I get this a lot. I get somebody that calls up, they're looking for a quote about something, uh, you know, and, and they talk to me. I, I recently was talking to this one guy. Uh, we were having a great conversation, and at the end of the conversation, we were talking about a half an hour, you know, he, he wanted to get a website done, some branding done, all this good stuff. At the end of the conversation, he goes... Thank you for all your help. I swear I'm going to work with you. And I was like, man, this was going great until you said that. Because there was no reason for you to say that at the end. That means there's something going on in your head. That means that this is probably not going to work out. And so I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought this conversation went great. I really feel like we can do what you want. He was like, yeah, don't worry. I promise I'm going to work with you. This is going to work out. I'll get back to you in about four or five days. I just need to check something, but I can't wait to work together. I'm, I'm really looking forward to working with you. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. This was the conversation at the end. I remember hanging up that phone thinking, I don't think we're going to be working together. <laughs> sure enough. You know, I sent a couple of follow-up emails. A month passes, two months, three months passes, nothing. Hear, hear back from him in six months. I'm still looking forward, like, we're really going to work together. Can't wait. You know, I just need to get some things in order. A couple of months passed by again, and I just was curious, and I went up on the guy's website, brand new website. Stinking, okay. <laughs> I got you. This is human nature. This is, this is who we are. In church, you know, it's funny. When we started the very beginning of the church plant, uh, for the first six months, there would be people that came. Uh, and, it, you know, the early stages of a church plant are not for everybody. And so God bless you if you came in the first six months. I'm incredibly thankful for you. Uh, when there was, like, you know, barely 50 people here and, you know, anybody that did anything, everybody noticed it, you know. Uh, and there would be people that come up to me after, and it's particularly, this began to happen so much that I, it, was, it, became, it became a joke to myself. And somebody would come up to me after service and say, Justin, I really loved being here. I'm going to come back. I can't wait to come back. I, I want, I'm going to make this my church. I promise you, I, I cannot wait to come back. Here's my number. Here's my email. Let's connect. I want to meet with you. Like, we need to make this happen. I can't wait to come back. And then they would never show up again, never heard from them, never talked to them again, never saw them again. This began to happen so much that I began to realize that, like, the amount that somebody sweared that they were going to come back directly correlated with the probability of me never seeing them again. And this, this is the issue of human nature, that for some reason, whether it's in church or in the corporate world or wherever it is with family, that we have a hard time doing what we say we are going to do. But the thing is, deep community is based around trust. Trust is built when people do what they say they're going to do. Right, If you continually tell me you're going to do something and then you never do it, what happens? Trust is lost. Right, You see this happen in relationships all the time. Somebody is like, I swear I'm not cheating on you. And then what happens? They're cheating. What, what does that do? Trust is lost. 
right? The, when you tell somebody, I promise I'm going to get this done, I'm, I'm going to make this happen, and then you don't do it again, what happens? Trust is lost. If a community is going to build deep relationship, if a community is going to work together, is going to be family, is going to really build roots and grow roots together, trust has to be at the center of that. And doing what we say is really what builds trust. And so the first thing James is saying is really we have to be people that do what we say. That God's spirit must be at a place to form our character in such a way that when we say we will or will not do something, that is actually what happens. And this is something that God can work out in our lives. That if we are people that commit to things all the time, say yes to things all the time and never do them, guess what? You can go to a generous God that will form your heart to be a person of your word, to be a trustworthy person. Because that's the type of church that he wants to create. The second thing James says the community needs is prayer. In verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Hear what James is saying. Suffering, happiness, sickness. These three areas should bring us to do the same thing. Have communion with God. This is a mark of community is that in these things that when we are going through hardship, when we are stressed out, that we are a community that says, let me go to God, let's pray. That when there are good times in my life, when things are going really well, when, man, I, I seem to be in a, a time of blessing in my life where things are, are coming together, now what do I do? I go and I sing. I have communion with God. I sing praises to him. That when I'm sick, that I don't become alienated from the community. I don't shy away, but I call the leaders. I say, pray over me. See, what happens is we will not pray when we think we have arrived. If we begin to believe that we have arrived, whether as a community or as a person, our prayer life will begin to lack. And, it, you know, sometimes this is a, an actual mental thought that, man, I'm, I'm doing good. I don't need to pray as much or, you know, I haven't sinned in this area for a while, so I really don't need to depend on God as much as I used to. I can start cutting back on my prayer. Sometimes that's a, a an, you know, a conscious thought. And sometimes it's subconscious. We begin to just say, you know what? In this time of suffering, God's not with me. I don't want to pray today. Or I'm doing really well. I don't really need to pray as much. And sometimes it's subconscious. But what we're saying is, in those times, is that we have arrived, whether we're verbally saying it or we're mentally saying it. And we are walking away 
from the humility of the believer saying that, God, we don't need you in our life anymore. You know, many times in our life, there's a specific situation that brings us to God. It might be a really bad time. There may be something traumatic that you went through in your life that brought you to church. Sometimes it's good times that bring people to church. You know, a lot of times in a new family, they have a baby and they think, you know, we're having a good time. We want to go to church and establish ourselves in God. But whatever the reason, one thing that we must learn right away is that in every situation, whether good or bad, our reaction should be the same. Let us go to God. Whether it's hard times or good times, our reaction should always be the same. Let me praise God. Let me pray to God. Let me go to God. Are you going through a really hard time? Are you stressed out? James says, pray. Don't run to food. Don't run to Netflix. Don't run to sex. Don't run to drugs. These are the things that the world will say. When you are stressed, when you are having a hard time, this is what you do. Run to God. Train yourself to do so. That in hard situations, we, what happens is we have formed habits. We have trained ourselves that Netflix is my stress reliever. So when I'm going through, when I had a tough day, I can't wait for that Netflix. Or I can't wait for that glass of wine when I get home. I can't wait for that booty call that I'm about to text. And when we get home, we're going to see what's up tonight. I can't wait to get that next hit, right? These are the things that we have trained ourselves to do because of the reactions that happen in our body. Chemically, we get that release, that quick release, but what happens is it doesn't feel, fill us up. It continues to drain. It continues to pull. It continues to destroy. And so what do we need to do? Train ourselves to go to God who not only give us joy and give us peace in every situation, but will leave us filled and not empty. If you're having a great time, if you're in a good place, James says, sing to God. Remember that James says, all good gifts come from above. So let that be a time in your life that you begin to glorify God and rejoice for all that he has done for you. See, a lot of times in our life when all the bad things happen, it's God's fault, but when all the good things happen, it's our fault. But when the good things begin to happen, realize that all good gifts come from above, so there's only one reaction that I should have in my life during good times, and it's this, God, I will sing, I will worship you, I will praise you, I will glorify you, that in my life I will begin to uplift and glorify and worship the name of God who has given me all these good things. He says, are you sick? Get the leaders, call them together to pray for you. Because he says, the prayer of faith will, may bring you healing. That is one of the reasons why every week we have a call to prayer up here. After the sermon, we have a time every single week. I say the same thing. If you want uh, to get prayed over for any reason, please come up. That is one of the things and reasons why we do that. Because the leaders are here, and if you are sick, we can come together and believe God for you to be healed. You know, in the world of Darwin... What happens is the sick are left 
to fend for themselves and to die. They are weak, and this is the survival of the fittest. That is why you have euthanasia. That is why in in the world where abortion was created, because we want to get rid of the inferior and only have the superior. We don't want the sick. If you look at the Nazi regime, what is the, one of the first things that they did? They started to kill the sick. Because friendship with the world does not have time for weakness, does not have time for sickness. That is a point of alienation where why would the, the healthy, the strong, want to be bogged down with the sick? But Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, all who are heavy laden, for I will give you rest. James says, let the sick, they have the power. It literally means to summon the leaders. They can summon the leaders that they may be prayed for. Sickness is not a point of alienation. Weakness is not a point of alienation. In the gospel, it is a sense of allowing the strength of God to course and run in your life. And so the sick call for the leaders and they get prayed for. And James says the prayer of faith. And in in the beginning of James, I love when he says, he says, when you pray, when you have faith, don't doubt. Because you are like a person who looks in the mirror and then a few seconds later when you walk away, you forget who you are. But pray in faith and belief. God is the great physician who heals. In God's community, the sick are not alienated, but they are called into the fold to be covered over with prayer and with leadership. And when we pray, we will pray in the name of the Lord on his authority and not our own because the power of the name of Jesus is greater than because he was raised from the dead. We must be a praying community. Deep community has to be formed by our communion first and foremost with God. That whatever it is, good or bad, whether we're going through rough times or we're going through great times, that we turn to God, we turn to him to celebrate and to mourn. We turn to him to petition him and to glorify him that our community would be marked by its prayer life and its communion with God. This is something that we have said from the very beginning. If we can look back at the history of our church and take credit for what has happened, then we have done something wrong. But we have to look at the history of our church and say, this has the hand of God on it. And the only way that will happen is if we have a praying community, a community that is humble enough to say, God, lead us. God, be glorified among us. God, heal us. God, deliver us. In all situations, we go to him. The next thing that James says a vibrant community has is confession. He says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. 
Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently. That means he prayed again and again. He prayed and prayed that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Another act of humility, another way that the community needs to walk in the things that it says is confession. And if I'm honest, this is one of the hardest things for me to learn as a Christian. You know, growing up as a pastor's kid, I perceived that there was no room for me to be honest about my sin. And this was something that I carried for a long time. My dad never made me feel this way, thank God. But the natural pressures of community did, and the lies the enemy snuck in through that did. Because of that, I learned how to live a secret double life as a Christian. I was secret about who I really was and about my sinful behaviors. So that this is what makes, there's something interesting that happened when I was 16 that I, I won't ever forget. And if you know me, if you know me well, you know that I, I have one of my great flaws is I can't memorize anything for my life. Uh, my wife, this is the bane of her existence because I love to sing songs all the time. Uh, if you've ever worked with me for more than an hour, I've probably sung to you in some form or fashion. And because I am not good at memorizing things and I love to sing songs, that's a really bad combination because that means I sing songs all the time and never sing the correct words. And these could be songs like worship songs that I've literally sung like every day for the last 10 years and I will still sing it wrong every single time, and I will sing it differently every single time. And mainly, Heather has given up on this. But <laughs> she goes, that's not the words, Justin. <laughs> Get it right. I'm like, oh, what are the words? And she would tell me the words, and then five minutes later, right back to my old ways, like, what was that again? But this is what makes this next story so special uh, because I remember reading something when I was 16, right? And if you know me in Bible memorization, you know that it is, it, is, it is hard, and I envy all the people that memorize easily, and that's why I always say, Jesus always said, it is written. He didn't say where it was written. He just said it was in there, all right? So when I quote scripture to you, I'm just letting you know it's in there somewhere. Google it. You'll figure out where it is. So I read this saying when I was 16, and... What's crazy is to this day, I, I remember the saying, uh, and that's wild because my memory is so bad when it comes to anything, but as a 16-year-old, I was already, I was living this double life. Uh, I was in my sin. I had never, ever at that point lived a confessing life before. I had never told somebody who I truly was. In fact, I was living a, a lie. I was lying to the people closest around me to keep the facade of perfection, of, of who I wanted everybody to perceive for me to be. And so this, I, someone said this quote, I never forgot it. They said, Satan builds his strongholds in the silence of our lives. Break the silence, break the strongholds. And I remember that hit me so hard because Satan had lied and built so many fortresses in my heart in my silence. That year after year after year, to penetrate through to my heart 
The walls became higher and higher and higher. My pride was adding brick after brick. Well, I definitely can't tell them today. I could have maybe two years ago, it might have been easier. Or a year ago, it might have been easier. There was always an excuse, always a reason for me not to say something. Well, I'm in this ministry now, or I'm, I'm doing this thing now, or I spoke at this thing before. I can't do that now. I struggled so deeply with pride and confession that it wasn't for another five years after I heard this that it actually took root and I began to confess regularly my sin. The lie is this. The lie is that you need to care what people think of you. The lie is that the church will reject you. The lie is that what we did is too much to share. The lie is that we can figure it out on our own. I want to tell you the truth so that it can set you free today. It is written that the truth will set you free. <laughs> this is the truth. It only matters on the last day what God thinks of you. And he delights in repentive, confessing churches. If God has forgiven me, I have learned that I can deal with people who won't. If you are confessing to someone who criticizes you and doesn't pray with you, here's a little secret. Get a new confessing partner. Why? Because what does James say? He says, confess to somebody, pray together, and then he says what? That you would be healed, and then he tells you what happens when people with strong prayer lives pray. He says, Elijah prayed and prayed, and then he prayed again. When you confess and then you pray for one another, what will happen? God is not only interested in your physical healing, but he is interested in your spiritual healing and your emotional healing. God is deeply interested in us being whole in every part, and we cannot be whole when we have hidden the womb. We cannot be whole when we do not allow him to enter everywhere. Sin has the same power that's Sickness does, the power to alienate. That is why that spiritual healing from our sin is just as important as physical healing from our sickness. You know, so often when something ails us, we are ready to get prayer for that. We are ready to tell somebody about it. But when there is sin in our life that is consuming us, we will never share a word about it. I have learned to practice what I call radical confession in my life. Because more than a good facade, more than what people think, more than my pride, I want to be right with Jesus. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. God, I want to see you. So many times we allow our pride to get in the way. What will they think? What will they say? Man, what will God think? 
what will God say? Will he say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or we will allow our pride to live a life of friendship with the world because we were scared what somebody would say. What I have done in my life is for the biggest things that my wicked heart wants to hide, I've decided that I will confess those things daily. So I have an accountability partner that every day in my to-do list, I have a recurring to-do, share with this person. And how do I know what I want to confess? It's really easy. What do I want to hide? What is it that I want to hide? What is it that I don't want this person to know about my thought life yesterday? What is it that I don't want this person to know about how I acted? What is it that I don't want this person to know about who I was or who, I, who I've been in my head and in my thoughts and in my actions? What am I trying to hide? What will cause, what, what is hitting my pride if I were to share this? But those are the things I need to share. If you are hiding sin, if you are hiding who you really are, then you are hiding from true community. You are hiding from the fervent prayer of the righteous person. And you won't be healed. I have lived the lie that I can do this on my own. I've lived that lie year after year after year. And I can tell you, church, from experience, it says in Proverbs that the wise person listens to the mistakes of others. Listen from my mistakes. You cannot do it by yourself. You may have a victory for a day. You may have a victory for a week. You may have a victory for a couple of months, but... You will not be healed, and that sin will come back. A lot of times what we don't like to admit is we don't like to admit the addiction that our sin has caused. And what happens with addiction is what psychologists and scientists have understood is that what they say is that if you look at AA about this. You say, hello, my name is Justin, and I'm an alcoholic. We've realized about addiction, it is something that we carry. It's a burden for our life. And the worst thing that an addict can do is pretend like they're not an addict anymore. The worst thing that we can do is act like this isn't an issue in our life anymore. The times that I have done that, what has happened? I have gone right back to where I was. It may not happen tomorrow but it was a matter of time because in my pride, I thought I was good and I did not need the tools that God gave me. We must be a confessing church. That God would be able to heal us from our sin, from the wounds that have opened up in our hearts and in our lives that continually perpetuate sin and what we do. The last thing that James says the community needs is mutual correction. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings, him, brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If you remember, we had a little portion a few weeks ago about judging others. 
And what we talked about is what I made sure everybody knew is that what James was not talking about is that he wasn't talking about not correcting each other. And this is why. Because James says if someone is wandering from the truth, or as James has defied what the truth is earlier, if someone is wandering from the proper way of behaving... They are envious, they are arrogant, they are stuffing their hearts with the indulgences and the pleasures of this world. He says we must bring them back. To be a real community, we will be a community that will call each other to account. Why would we do this? Why would we confront one another? Because we have to ask, who would you rather call you to account? God on the day of judgment or a brother or sister here on earth. Every day, any day, I would rather a brother or sister here on earth call me to account. James says that correcting your brother or sister will save the person's soul from death and it will cover a multitude of sins, meaning it will prevent a lot of sin from taking place. You know, a lot of times we have misinterpreted scripture to think that it is not our responsibility to care for our brothers or sisters that are in sin. And we have said, well, that's just the Holy Spirit's job. Listen, if the Holy Spirit wanted to do everything by himself, then he would get everybody saved without using our mouths, and he would bring everybody correction without using brothers and sisters. Guess what? The Holy Spirit wants to use us to bring correction to our brother or our sister. And so often we have passed the buck, we have passed the responsibility because of bad theology that we have had people wander off and we have watched them and we have left them instead of doing what Jesus said, which is leaving the 99 and going after the one to bring them back. We must be a community that cares so much for one another, that loves each other so deeply that we are willing to tell each other when they have gone astray, that we are willing to go out of our way to say, come on, I'm coming over. We're going to pray together. I'm calling. Why don't, let, let's go get some dinner together. Let's go get some lunch together. Why don't you come over? Where do you want to hang out? What's a, what's a good spot for us to meet? Sometimes it requires more than just a text or a Facebook message. You good? Sometimes it requires sacrifice on your part. Right? And, and, and this, this golden rule, do unto others what you would want done unto you. If you are going through a hard time, if you are wandering, wouldn't you want somebody to cancel something in their calendar to come and meet you? To, to forego another Netflix episode so that they can pray with you? Yeah, I would. And I've had people do that in my life. And so James says we must be a community that when somebody is wandering off that we can go and we can bring them back. People get confused sometimes that this is the pastor's job. No, this is the church's job. This is not the pastor's job. If we look around the room, there's no way that one person or a few people can keep track with everybody here. And so often we leave the job to the professionals. There's no professionals in the kingdom of God. We are all in this together. The fivefold ministry is to equip the church to do the work of the church. 
And so we are required, one another, brother and sister, to look to each other and say, come back. Let me help you because when one is strong, another may be weak and we can mutually serve and love one another in this way. This is what forms true community. Many times community sounds great in theory, but in reality, it takes a lot of work and many of us are not willing to put in that work. It sounds great when you have a lot of friends and their family and you can go over and hang out whenever you want and talk to each other and confront one another in love. All of those things sound great and everybody wants it, but when it comes down to actually doing it, it requires sacrifice. It requires humility, it requires love, and it requires dependence on first God and then each other. These are not easy things to come by, but it takes a life of friendship with God. As James has been trying to get across since the very beginning, following the way God has called us to be and not following in the footsteps of the world, that when you're having a rough time, guess what? I drop you as a friend because I don't need that negativity in my life. When you're struggling, well, I got better things to do. I got more important things to do. But praying for one another, caring for one another, correcting one another, speaking honestly to one another, confessing to one another, this is real community. We have to let that sink in. That this value that us as a church so deeply want to represent that we believe is represented in Scripture over and over again. That we can pray, God, help us become a people like this, that we would prioritize who you have called us to be rather than what the world has said this looks like. Can you stand and pray with me?